The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Wednesday morning, February the 2nd, 2022. Lots of twos today. It's 02022022. So if you like the number two, today is your day until, of course, it's February 22nd and even more twos then. But nonetheless, we are here on this Wednesday, right here live on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. This is Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Glad to be back on the air after a couple of days. Man, I tell you what, whether it be, I don't know if it's allergies or if it's like COVID hangover from a a couple months still back, I can't seem to get right here. Just a horrible, horrible sinus infection going on, but nonetheless, didn't want to stay away a third day, so bear with me today as uh, we're going to get through this thing for the next two hours, because i got a lot of stuff to talk about. There's so many things going on in the world of sports right now, uh, I just couldn't, I literally couldn't hold my tongue any longer. So we're going to be discussing a lot of different things today, whether it be uh, national news, s- some groundbreaking stuff in the world of the NFL, uh, the Washington football team has a new name that got leaked out last night because someone with a really cool-ass camera was able to zoom into the stadium and see the logos <laughs> that weren't covered up. Oh, they, that franchise couldn't screw things up any more than they do every single day. There's also some NBA news to talk about and some local collegiate news as both basketball teams have some really big games coming up this week at home. Both the men's and women's team, men's team, get to get that uh, revenge match against UCLA. That game is tomorrow night at the McHale Center. The women then play their revenge game on Friday against Oregon, and we all know what that is going to entail, of course, with their head coach coming into McHale Center after the confrontation that was had between both he and Adia Barnes. We'll talk about that. We may, uh, we're trying to get Adia Barnes on the show. I was supposed to have their point guard, Shayna Pellington, on the show yesterday. Obviously, I was sick, um, so that uh, that wasn't able to uh, to happen. We're still efforting that. Uh, that so we may still get Shayna Pellington on today or tomorrow, and uh, we're expecting to have Coach Adia Barnes on the show Friday, so stay tuned for that. should be fun. She was also just named the Grand Marshal of the Tucson Rodeo Parade, which is huge. Um, we'll talk about that. And a lot of other things going on in the world of sports. Wildcats, um, both again, both teams in town at McHale having trade-offs. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, four games being played at the McHale Center, women on Friday and Sunday, men on Thursday and Saturday, as the L.A. schools in town for the men and the Oregon schools in town for the women. <clears throat> Arizona football also continues their their you know boon of uh, of signing players and bringing players in not just for the 2022 class but the 2023 class as today is national signing day the it's it used to be the big holiday known as national signing day but 5 years ago 6 years ago whatever it was when they started the early signing period in college football uh that changed things so now is like the late signing period if you will um, it's no longer just the regular signing period because every, almost everybody signs in December. They don't wait till February to do so. But some players do. Some players are undecided or need to get their scholastics in order before they can sign kind of things. Um, and so that's, what, uh, that's where we're at today. So we can expect to see some news. I know Jed Fish had talked about 
uh, in his press conference when introducing the uh, somewhat of the 2022 class and promoting the event that's tonight on campus um, at the Cole and Jeannie, uh, the uh, Cole and Jeannie indoor practice facility there. Uh, they, he was, he was saying, we're going to add one more player. We're going to, we're going to add one more guy. And he was hinting at who that might be in, in ways that, you know, we were just kind of picking people in the know were picking up on, um, you, you know, when, when he was talking about, we're going to bring in one more player. And then he kind of, you know, well, went around and said that when Arizona was talking, when he was talking about the, the poly bowl, the Polynesian bowl, he said, we had six players, maybe more in that game, he was talking about a young man named Kevante Henry who played in that game, who played for Brandon Manamaluna in California this year for uh, for high school, of course, and we all know who Brandon Manamaluna is. And it, it, it doesn't sound good for Arizona right now. And look, the fact that Arizona was even in the mix in the final for a player of this magnitude just shows you how far this coaching staff has brought their recruiting prowess in just one short year, I mean, less than a full season of, of recruiting, really. I mean, today is the end of the full season. But um, but Kevante Henry, a guy like that, who is being recruited by the likes of USC, UCLA, Oregon, Oklahoma, um, Texas, and there was a couple of SEC schools mixed in there as well. I think Texas A&M was one of them. Um, but he's big time. And for Arizona even to be considered – as a finalist in a mix of those power programs is is completely indicative of everything that Jed Fish and his coaching staff has done this uh, this offseason. So it doesn't sound like Kevonta Henry is going to sign with Arizona, but it they still, you know, it it it, it may not, you know, it, it sounds like he's probably going to go to Oklahoma. But hey, if you lose out to Oklahoma, I I'm I'm not I'm not going to lose sleep over that. Arizona's still going to bring in good players, and they did bring in a good player uh, last night while I was sleeping, maybe not while you were sleeping, but while I was sleeping, a, uh, a young defensive tackle, a three-star defensive tackle that played at modern day, which is always big, just walked on to the program last night. So uh, announced that he was going to be walking on, signing, and, and getting ready to play football for the 2022 class. Uh, Jacob uh, Ikinga, I think his name is, and, and, you know, big, strong kid, didn't, you know, didn't have the, uh, the offers that he wanted, but played as the national champion, modern day, defensive tackle, big kid, big strong kid, and uh, he's going to walk on. He's a three-star, and he's going to walk on to Arizona's program. It, 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 I mean, I don't know what else you can say. <laughs> like, Arizona's getting now getting three-star walk-ons. Before, they were struggling to get, you know, a class full of three-star players. Now three stars from the national champion are walking on to the program. So that's where Arizona football is at right now. Um, if any more news comes about on National Signing Day this morning before we uh, before we sign off, <clears throat> I'll be sure to get that information to you as quickly as we can. But again, I don't expect uh, fireworks or anything today. Maybe you know one signing, uh, maybe not. But we'll keep you posted on that. I don't want to bore you all with a reset from things that I should have talked about on Monday while I was out sick. Obviously, the conference championship weekend it went it went famously for the NFL. I mean, they had two extremely competitive games. Uh, the fans were well entertained. There were plenty of storylines around there, and in the end, we we I think we had well, we definitely had one upset. One team that was a, a seven and a half point or seven point underdog in the Cincinnati Bengals went into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs in overtime, twenty seven twenty four. Joe Burrow outduels Patrick Mahomes in Arrowhead um, and win on the foot of their rookie kicker 
in overtime. And uh, it was, you know, it was that situation where they get to the coin toss and Kansas City wins the coin flip, but didn't have any momentum going into that coin toss. I mean, they really didn't. They, they had, you know, they had only scored a field goal in the second half of that game. They did all their scoring early in the, you know, in the the first twenty, you know, twenty minutes, twenty two minutes of that game. And, and since you know, in the second half, and you know, that was something I wanted to talk about is they just had no momentum going into that into that uh, that overtime. So. When you saw what what you saw, I mean, because Patrick Mahomes took two, what, two sacks on the final drive of uh, of that game, and essentially, you know, sunk the boat there for for Kansas City. One of the sacks he definitely did not have to take, just hanging on, hanging on, hanging on to the ball, hanging on to the ball. It just, uh, you, you know, things that you don't see out of Patrick Mahomes too often. Um, certainly not in a big game like that. So. At least not when his offensive line is healthy. Last year in the Super Bowl, his offensive line was decimated. That game was over before it began. I, if if FanDuel Sportsbook had been a thing for Super Bowl Fifty Five, I would have bet the farm on on Tampa Bay to win that game. Um, but you know, it was it, it was a situation where you know people were up in arms, including myself, about the the overtime rule, and it still does need to be addressed. It it, it cannot go on this way. We we cannot be deciding games with a coin flip in the playoffs. Um, but you know, essentially, it, it, came, it comes down to momentum, and Kansas City had no momentum going into that overtime. And what you saw in their first drive was indicative of how the game was going for them in the final thirty minutes of regulation. It was scramble and gamble, really, for for Patrick Mahomes, and he ends up throwing a ball into double coverage, trying to force a ball to Tyreek Hill, gets picked off, and you knew exactly what was going to happen at that point. Swaggy. B or whatever they want to call him or whatever his new nickname is, Joe Burrow stepped onto the field with more confidence than any player I've ever seen in my entire life, and uh, outside of maybe Joe Montana, whom I've drawn parallels to, and I, I know that I'm being premature there, but uh, you can't mistake the, the the similarities between the two. Um, walks onto that field, takes his team right down, and I mean, they probably could have scored a touchdown if they wanted to. The, the Chiefs were reeling. Burrow was dealing and ends up uh, ends up kicking the field goal to win the game and sends the Bengals to the Super Bowl, their third Super Bowl in franchise history. And you know, look, Mahomes was brilliant early. We you know we saw that, and you know, in fact, I was getting text messages saying this game's over. Well, you know, what a what a blowout, what a disappointment. Can't wait for the NFC game and stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know, just wait. I, there's a lot of playmakers on the other side of the ball, and it really ended up being the defense for Cincinnati um, because Patrick Mahomes had a dismal second half versus that new-look defensive scheme. And it's a defensive scheme that I've seen employed against teams like that before, specifically Bruce Arians coached teams. So I want to give credit to the Bengals' defensive coordinator, a guy you've probably never even heard of before because Bengals don't – I mean, they're first of all, they're just kind of an upstart team that are now in the Super Bowl. But – Zach Taylor gets most of the, the credit when talking about the coaching staff, and then, of course, Joe Burrow gets all of the credit for everything with that team. But their, de- their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo, um, he, who has spent most of his career in the Dolphins organization, uh, has only been the D.C. there for, I think, two or three years with Cincinnati, uh, but was a, uh, a secondaries coach for, for Miami for many years, a, a secondary that did really well in the NFL. And he basically opened up the, you know, the, old, the old films of – how to go up against like a Bruce Arians type team or, you know, a, a team that is that is coached to sling the ball down the field. 
and he went and looked at what Vic Fangio was doing with the 49ers back in the day, and specifically against the likes of Kurt Warner when Kurt Warner was unstoppable in the league as the as the Cardinals quarterback, and they were, you know, I mean, they were leading the league in passing, and they had, you know, Fitz and Bolden, and I mean, they were, you know, they were killing teams. And what Vic Fangio did, and you know, it, I've talked to Kurt about this before, about how confused he was, is they would just stand everybody up. That nobody got down into a three-point or a four-point stance. Defensive linemen were just standing up, and they sometimes would rush two, sometimes would rush three, sometimes would rush run and drop ten into coverage. I mean, it was insane. All these different schemes that they had against Kurt Warner, and he would consistently have his worst games. You, you could see he, he, he didn't know where to throw the football. And that's exactly what happened with Patrick Mahomes. His pre-snap read was kind of like, okay, I'm not exactly sure, but we're running up against the clock. I got to snap the ball here. Something will present itself once the play starts to develop, and then nothing happened. And he was trying to force the ball into his playmakers. You know, unfortunately for Kansas City, they have a lot of great playmakers. However, they are diminutive in stature outside of Travis Kelsey, whom was doubled over the middle most of the game. So. Now you're going to try to throw the ball up, back shoulder fades and stuff like that, to guys that are you know five ten, you know five foot nine, five foot ten, five foot eleven. Tyree Kill, Cole Hardman, guys like that, and they're not going to win those battles. They're, you know they're not going to win those jump balls. So it really put him into a, a situation of of not I don't want to say desperation, but he he looked bad. I mean he, he looked as bad as you can make Patrick Holmes look. And uh, Luana Rumo, it did what most teams have been unable to do, which is confuse. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, and I don't think Andy Reid was all that confused. I mean, but if you're as good a coach as Andy Reid is, you should be able to get your quarterback reined in and say, "This is what we're going to do against this. this is how we're going to this is how we're going to beat this." Because it's been long enough. You've been in the league. You should figure things out. But uh, give credit to the Cincinnati Bengals defense, who was lights out when they had to be in the second half of that game, just dominated uh, in the second half, outscoring the uh, the Chiefs after halftime by a score of seventeen to three. So huge comeback for the Bengals. Um, I also I'm going to throw a lot of the blame on Andy Reid in that in that particular game. I'm not going to put it all on Patrick Mahomes. I think that Andy Reid was equally uh, equally complicit in the in the blame game for that. Look, the Chiefs were averaging six yards per carry in the game. They were gashing the Cincinnati Bengals on the ground, six yards per carry in that game, and they ran the ball six times in the second half, six. <laughs> and they, for 34 yards, which is almost six yards per carry, right? Meanwhile, they dropped back 12 times, which netted them zero yards and an interception. This is all before the final drive of the game, okay, final drive of regulation. So they ran the ball six times for 34 yards, or they dropped back 12 times for zero yards and a pick. And you can't get it out of your head that you have to stop throwing the football against that defense and start running the ball? And stop giving the ball back to Joe Burrow, who was gashing your defense? Yeah, no. That's that's on you. That's on Andy Reid. You know, the Chiefs had opportunities to establish a dynasty, and, and, you know, that's one of the things that I think will last from the outcome of the previous two postseasons in the NFL. What we thought was going to be a dynasty after the, the Chiefs had beaten the 49ers in Super Bowl 54 and the emergence of the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and all the pieces on that offense and how the defense was starting to come around and they've got stars and playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. We're thinking dynasty. They've played in four consecutive AFC championship games, four home games in AFC championship games, which is remarkable. 
and they're going to cash in one championship from those four. What does that say? First of all, it tells you just how difficult it is to establish a dynasty in sports, specifically in the NFL. The NFL is 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 brutal uh, as it pertains to trying to establish a dynasty. So, dynasty. So, credit to the likes of going all the way back to the '70s with Chuck Knoll and the uh, and the the uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course. Bill Walsh in his dynasty with the 49ers. You can throw in, you know, the, the, the bookends of the Tom Landry, Jimmy Jones eras of the Dallas Cowboys as dynasties, and I think you can certainly do that. And, of course, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, the most recent dynasty, and a one that lasted for a long time, seven championships for, uh, for TB, six for, uh, for, for Belichick. And, you know, it's, it's very difficult to establish dynasties, no matter how good you are. And no one is going to discredit Patrick Mahomes or Andy Reid for the career that they're going to put together based on this window of two years of postseasons. It's just not going to happen. However, they had an opportunity to to become a dynasty, become that dynastic franchise that ushers in the next decade of, of NFL action. And they failed. They failed to do that. And, you know, now we're looking at, what happens with the Kansas City Chiefs and looking ahead. And look, we'll have plenty of time to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals as we're moving forward with the the two-week break here um, before the Super Bowl. But we'll talk about the exiting teams. You know, Patrick Mahomes, his his contract, which was the most lucrative contract in the history of the NFL uh, when he signed it, is it was very team-friendly in the first three years and then gets real ugly for the team's cap numbers in the final two. In fact, next year his payment goes up to I think it was twenty, I think it's twenty six or twenty seven million against the cap, and then after that it's forty four million against the cap, which would be roughly twenty eight or twenty nine percent of the entire team's spending budget, which is way too high. And in the fifth year, it's like fifty two million in the first year. There's no team in the world that can that, that can pay their quarterback fifty two million dollars and expect to to put a, a competitive team on the field. So they're going to restructure that deal, but they're going to have to do it. And they're going to have to figure out what they're, you know, what they're going to do moving forward because they had every opportunity in the world to to cash this thing in, and all they had to do was beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And I'm not trying to discredit the Cincinnati Bengals. The Kansas City Chiefs are a great football team, but not good enough. And, and I think that's what we're going to have to settle for is instead of a dynasty, instead of talking about the Kansas City Chiefs as a dynasty here in the, the 2020s dynasty, it's just a really good football team with a really good quarterback and a really good coach and several future Hall of Famers on the roster, but maybe incapable of cashing in multiple world championships because they didn't get it done last year, they ain't getting it done this year, and next year, uh, I mean, look, teams are figuring stuff out. So you got to be one step ahead of them and uh, figure things out for yourselves as well. All right, we're going to take a timeout when I return. We'll talk about the NFC game, the exit of the San Francisco 49ers, more, more, more importantly, the exit of Jimmy Garoppolo. We'll talk about that next. FanDuel Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, and to celebrate, new customers can bet $5 to win $280 in cash. That's right, cash, on either team to win just by using my promo code, DEAN, that's my last name, D-E-A-N, when you register your newly created account. So, when you win that bet, okay, five dollars, 
You get it in cold, hard cash. We all know that cash is better than free bets, which is what everybody else is offering. They're like, hey, bet $5, get $280 in free bets. That's like the, you know, the, the, the fine print there. With FanDuel, you get cash. It gets deposited into your account. Now, for me, as much as my heart wants to pick Joe Burrow and his victory cigar because you know how much I love that guy, my brain is telling me that this is the Rams' year to finally hoist the Lombardi Trophy. It's just kind of seems like it's going that way. But regardless of who you're betting to win, there's plenty of fun prop bets to let you enjoy Super Bowl 56 uh, and uh, even more. You can vote on who you think the MVP is going to be, whether or not there's going to be a safety in the game, the color of the Gatorade in the winning coach's Gatorade bath, or my personal favorite, there's any offensive lineman to have a receiving touchdown in the game. Get the big boys score. Let them eat. And there's no better place to bet Super Bowl 56 than on FanDuel Sportsbook because they always offer great promotions to new and existing customers. You get to customize same-game parlays your way and combine smaller bets for bigger payouts. They have fun prop bets to share with your buddies, families, and friends, and so much more. So don't miss your chance to turn $5 into $280 cash. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today. Use my promo code DEAN to make every moment more this Super Bowl. Again, promo code DEAN. That's exclusively on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. 21 and over and present in Arizona. New users only. $10 first deposit is required. Must wager designated offer market. Max bonus is $280. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. And if you think you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342. The 49ers and the Rams NFC Championship game. We'll have a little recap of that and what's to expect of Jimmy G's future. Next, right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, things didn't turn out Sunday the way that I wanted them to. As a listen, I, I, I am unapologetically a 49ers fan, have been my entire life. Everyone should know that by now listening to this radio show. Um, didn't turn out the way I wanted them to. You know, the 49ers, it was almost like their time was due with the Rams. They had lost to the Rams in three years. It's They were they had won their last six games. The Rams were coming in extremely talented and confident. 49ers were banged up and having a couple of really rough road games that they had to play, um, one in really harsh conditions and a, a tough-fought game. And uh, it was just time, you know, for the uh, – uh, for the Los Angeles Rams to ascend and, and you know, grab that NFC title. So, all, you know, all credit to the Rams and, you know, the job that they did because defensively they were lights out in that game, specifically in the second half. I thought San Francisco had kind of figured things out there in the, in the first half, like kind of the bridge between the first and the second quarters. It seemed like San Francisco had started to figure things out, and it was like, uh-oh, this one's going to get away from the Rams if they don't change it real quick. And Andrew, uh, credit to, not Andrew, Aaron Donald, um, he, you know, he challenged his his fellow teammates on defense to step up um, because he, they knew that they had to bring the same intensity to that 49ers defense brings. And boy, did they offer! And they were they stepped up and they were really really good. Uh, the game essentially ended on a Jimmy G interception on the final drive. He's trying to escape a sack, do everything that he possibly could. He saw uh, Jamichael Hasty as his safety valve went to go kind of sidearm toss the ball as he's being ragdolled into the ground and the ball just goes a little bit over the head of uh, of the receiver right into the waiting arms of uh, uh, Traven Howard 
and he intercepts the ball, and, and Rams get the ball back with a minute to go, and that was essentially it. They kneel on the ball three times. Game over. Rams on to the Super Bowl. The Rams' defense held the 49ers to just 50 yards rushing on 20 attempts. That was the 49ers' worst uh, rushing game of the season, so credit to the uh, the Rams for that. 49ers playing on a with a one-legged Trent Williams. Um, I talked to talked to a buddy of mine on Monday who covers the team and said that 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 Trent Williams could barely walk like he was he was so, he was in such bad shape and you know I've talked about it on this show before there are there are two things that will that will just decimate an uh, offensive lineman's ability to play his position one is a bad back the other is a high ankle sprain high ankle sprains are a death knell for specifically for offensive tackles but for you know for for offensive linemen in general and according to the doctors, his is a grade two high ankle sprain, which is a significant injury. Um, and he went out there and played anyways, but he was on one leg, and it showed. You know, there was there was some problems. They weren't running the ball to the left side a whole lot. They tried to put him in motion and do some things, and that got squashed. Uh, so credit to the to the Rams defense for uh, for stepping up. But really, where the game the game changed was in in situations. You know, the the Rams made plays when it mattered most. And and a lot of times when two teams are so evenly matched, that's just what matters, is is making the plays when they matter the most. The Rams ran 26 more plays than the 49ers, and they were only plus 90 in total yards. When you, you, when you consider that, that's like just over three yards per play on those extra 26 plays. But where the difference was is they were 11 of 18 on third downs. The 49ers were second best team in the league in forcing third down, essentially not giving up first, you know, first downs on first and second down, because of the 49ers' ability to rush and play and get negative yards, uh, negative plays on defense with just rushing four. They did it all year. The dominance of their defensive line showed out. So they faced more third downs than 30 of the of the other uh, remaining teams. Only one team faced more third downs than the 49ers, and I think it was the New Orleans Saints. Um, the so the 49ers were used to seeing a lot of third downs what they weren't used to doing is for teams to convert them 60% of the time which is what the rams did 11 of 18 on third down which is incredibly impressive um, and like i said they were good situationally they made big plays when they had to and they were able to convert third downs when they needed to the most and that was really the difference in the game and credit to them that their offense is loaded with players cooper cup had an amazing game 11 catches 142 yards odell beckham he is looking like the the star pickup of the season for any team as he had nine catches, 113 yards, huge difference maker. And I'll tell you what, that dude is tough. I've never given credit or never really seen enough out of out of OBJ to label him as a tough guy before. He took some real big licks in that game and just bounced right back up to his feet, took a lick and kept on ticking. And OBJ earned my respect in that game, big time. Big-time respect uh, for OBJ for just being an absolute tough guy. Um, you, you can't say enough about how good he was. You know, the Rams lose Tyler Higby early. Um, he probably won't even be able to play in the Super Bowl. He injured his knee pretty bad. Uh, I believe it was on the first drive. Had Already had two catches in the game. Um, but I think he was on the, at the end of the first drive or maybe the end of the second drive. Regardless, he's hurt, and that was a big – uh, you know, a big a big target for for Matthew Stafford specifically in the in the uh, red zone, and they found Kendall Blanton. He stepped up and he had a big game too. Five catches, fifty seven yards for him. So, again, it was it was situational football, and really the Rams were the better team in situations where it mattered most. And now 
you know, the 49ers have, have got to start to consider what they're going to do with their 2022 season. Jimmy Garoppolo, in his his press conference with the media yesterday, didn't sound like a guy who's going to be returning. I mean, he his quote from, from the, the press conference yesterday says, it's been a fun ride, guys, and I really appreciate you for that. He's talking to the media. And, yeah, I'll miss you guys. So thank you guys again. Faithful. Thank you very much for everything. 49er Faithful is the name of the, the fan group in, the, in San Francisco or 49ers fans all around. He says, it's been crazy, man, just all the comebacks at Levi's, comebacks on the roads, ups and downs. It's been a hell of a ride, guys. I love you guys. So see ya. Does not sound like a guy who is coming back. He mentioned that he and John Lynch had discussions earlier Tuesday about the right destination, finding the right destination for Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, management isn't going to sit here and say, we're definitely trading him, um, so any teams out there that are interested, give us a call. They're not going to say that. They have been very clear from the beginning that they are going to weigh all of their options, and they're, I mean, they're, they're saying all the right things, but Jimmy G knows that he's going to be traded somewhere. They're going to just find the right spot for him. What is the right spot for Jimmy Garoppolo? I think most people would consider him to be an upgrade for several teams in the NFL. When I say several, I'm meaning probably close to a dozen teams in the NFL. Jimmy G would be considered an upgrade at quarterback immediately for those teams and maybe somewhere he's allowed to play a little bit more, be a little bit more of a of a, a pass-happy quarterback um, in certain offenses as well. We'll talk about that next. You're listening here to ESPN Tucson. It's the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. Recapping a little bit from the weekend of the NFL and now looking forward Jimmy Garoppolo at his press conference yesterday sounded like a man who was working with the team to seek a trade. The the word that I you know that I hear the the the, the term that I continue to hear the phrase whatever when when talking with uh, my buddy who who covers the team there in San Francisco is just you know what a great guy Jimmy Garoppolo is great teammate uh, team player you know all all the way to the, to the end and that's why everybody loves playing with him now. He doesn't possess the greatest set of skills for a quarterback. He doesn't have the biggest arm. He often makes decisions that will, as the ball is slowly floating through the air towards a defender, you're thinking to myself, my God, this is going to get intercepted. Somehow finds a way to get in there. Um, but he's, you know, he's tough. Aside from the, you know, the ACL injury that he had that he blew out when he was scrambling with the ball and, you know, ran out of bounds uh, essentially in a, in a preseason game and, and blew his ACL doing that. Uh, for the most part, he's been a real tough guy, and he's, he's taken some hits and uh, has continued to bounce back and, and continue to play. But he's a guy that loves the game of football. He loves to play. He loves to compete and, of course, loves to win. Who doesn't? What's the next landing spot for Jimmy Garoppolo? There are certain teams out there that are really – actively looking for a new starting quarterback that are that feel like they're basically a quarterback away from the playoffs. The Carolina Panthers, I know that uh, that Deshaun Watson has been a target of theirs. Uh, you know, and Matt Rule, the the, the head coach there, uh, the, the, he's been you know they've they've been a, a target uh, for uh, for Deshaun Watson, and they've got some good players around there. I mean, they've got Christian McCaffrey, who's now made of glass apparently and can't stay healthy. 
Um, but they've got DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, guys who do stay healthy, um, and you know could possibly be a good landing spot for him. And I, you know, I've I've spoken my praises about Matt Rule. I think he's I think he's a, a very good head coach. Uh, I guess that remains to be seen at the NFL level. Maybe it was just at the college level. One place that I think would fit Jimmy G phenomenally is a culture like the Pittsburgh Steelers. What has been going on there over the years and their run, inexplicable run with Mike Tomlin as never having a sub-500 record is, is just incredible. And the fact that they were able to go out there and win games this year with the way Ben Roethlisberger was looking, I mean, that guy couldn't hardly move, couldn't throw the football. Like I mean, it was bad, real bad. And their backups are Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. Like, that's what that's who you're going to ride with into the 2022 season with that defense? And you've got some playmakers on the offensive side of the ball, some emerging playmakers like Deontay Johnson. you got Najee Harris, you know, a running back. Now they are kind of working on their offensive line, but that can be fixed. This offseason is going to be very good for offensive linemen, actually, both in the draft and in free agency. So the Steelers, to me, seem like the best landing spot for Jimmy Garoppolo, not only because of their culture. He would fit in right away. He's not an outsider, so to speak. He's not a guy that is going to come in, flash and dash, and change the way the Steelers go about their business. I mean, he's got the scruffy look to him, you know. He's kind of had, you know, some, you know, some toughness uh, injected into him. And he's a guy that is, a, is able to manage a football game. He's had some great comebacks. He's won a ton of games despite his lack of overall athleticism and quarterbacking skills. He's won a ton of games. His winning percentage is through the roof, second-best winning percentage in the NFL. I think he's a perfect fit for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I I just – to me, that is a – that is the the, the perfect marriage right there. What would it take to get a Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, I mean, if you look at what Jared Goff did – uh, you know the, the Jared Goff trade. Obviously, they exchanged quarterbacks there, and the Rams also gave up their first round, and I think was it the first round or the third rounder to the to the Detroit Lions. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is worthy of a first round pick. Personally, just look at his winning percentage. You know he's thirty years old, but he spent a lot of time in the league as a backup. So really, he's you know in the grand scheme of things, he's in his late twenties as opposed to a thirty year old. And if anything that we've seen, you know, over the years, uh, specifically recently with a quarterback retiring at the age of 44, that quarterbacks have changed the way they go about their conditioning and their health, especially a guy who learned it from the man himself, from TB12. I mean, he was there as Tommy's backup in, in New England for several years and may have adopted some of those Uh, some of those good habits that has allowed Tom Brady to compete for 22 seasons in the NFL. So I don't think that the age age thing is an issue at all. Uh, Not to mention a quarterback that was 38, 39 years old, and Ben Roethlisberger was actually – was he 40? I can't remember what exactly. He's old. He looked older than he was, that's for sure. Um, I think think Pittsburgh's the perfect fit for him. And if they want to give up a first-round pick, I think the 49ers would be happy to take that because Pittsburgh's first-round pick wouldn't be – too early, in, you know, in the in the draft, um, and I haven't looked at, at the exact number of the pick. Maybe they don't have a first round pick this year. I don't even know. Um, but I, I think that that Jimmy G would be worthy of a first round pick. The New Orleans Saints are another team who are not only looking for a head coach, but they're going to be looking for a quarterback because I'm pretty sure they don't want to go into the season with Taysom Hill as their starter. 
You just you don't want to do that. Jameis Winston, you know, he's got ACL, you know, the torn ACL in week eight, so he won't be back until, you know, mid-camp, I guess, uh, is, is about what they're saying. I'm, I'm kind of just, you know, shooting from the hip here. Um, you know, he's, he's probably not going to be available right away, so they could possibly need a quarterback. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as the aforementioned Tom Brady, who just retired, um, I don't know what the, the surrounding cast is going to look like for Bruce Arians there uh, because Rob Gronkowski is likely going to retire. You didn't hear that from me first, um, even though you did hear from me that Tom Brady was going to be retiring. I, like I said it Monday after the game last week. I was like, it's Tom, that was Tom Brady's last game. Just, just be ready to be ready to, to you know acknowledge that as Tom Brady's final game. And people were like, oh, he's going back. He said he's going to play till he's 50. He's done. <laughs> Just take my word for it. He's done. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is also likely to retire. Um, they do have some other guys, but, you know, Chris Godwin's going to free agency. They're going to lose Chris Godwin. They're going to lose Leonard Fournette. Um, so I don't know what the what the surrounding cast is going to look like there, but Tampa Bay is obviously an option for him, although if it's Bruce Arians' offense, I don't think Jimmy G is a fit in that offense. That, that's, a, that's an offense that throws the ball 42 times a game. They are consistently driving the ball down the field, big plays down the field, over the middle specifically, and that's not Jimmy G's game. So I don't think he's a good fit for him. Another place that could be an interesting spot for Jimmy G would be Washington, who now has a brand-new nickname, as it was uncovered late last night by somebody with a really, really awesome high-powered camera. They were able to zoom in to the stadium and, like, zoom all the way in where the ceremony was going to be taking place this morning and could see the logo that was not covered up. It, they just had it set up there, and they were like, okay, we're going to invite people in. This is going to be the logo. It wasn't covered up at all. So last night I got to see the Washington Commanders new logo there as uh, that's going to be the new name of the the, the aforementioned Washington Redskins, uh, previously known uh, Washington Redskins, previously known uh, Washington football team. Now – the Washington Commanders. Uh, so it could be a landing spot for a Jimmy Garoppolo, although I don't know if l- – listen, Kyle Shanahan spent time in the Redskins organization, the Washington organization, whatever you want to call it. Um, it he spent time in that franchise under that absolute ridiculous maniac they have running that f- football program there. And I don't think in Kyle Shanahan's worst nightmare would he send someone he actually likes to play for Daniel Snyder. I'm just I'm just calling it like it is. If if John Lynch were working a deal with Washington, I'm pretty sure Kyle Shanahan would step in and say, if you send him there, I'm leaving. <laughs> because we are not sending Jimmy Garoppolo to Washington. I listen all respect to Ron Rivera and the job that he's done in the NFL. And they've got some talented pieces there. Curtis Samuels, a great football player. I love scary Terry McLaurin. I think he is a remarkable wide receiver. But if you like somebody and you send them to Washington to play football, you are obviously telling them that they really don't mean a whole lot to you. <laughs> because, And specifically because a guy like Kyle Shanahan who's been there and knows what it's like in that organization, I, I, it would be a slap in the face to someone who has brought you so much success to send them into an organization like that. So personally, if, if I were ranking the teams – where I would think that the 49ers would want to send uh, Jimmy G, number one 
would be the Pittsburgh Steelers. First of all, you get him out of the NFC. You don't have to face him, certainly not in the division and that kind of stuff. So I think sending him to Pittsburgh, they have the best culture. They have the best ability to win right now. They have the best defense. They can run the football. They've got a, a more branded style closer to the 49ers. I think Pittsburgh is number one and number 1A on that list. After that, I think you go to New Orleans, possibly to Tampa, Carolina, and then finally on that list is Washington. And there could be other teams that are looking also and teams that are calling, looking to upgrade. I don't know if the Miami Dolphins are still looking to upgrade over Tua and things like that, but there are definitely other teams out there that could upgrade with Jimmy Garoppolo. Those are just a few of the teams that I thought of off the top of my head who could make a move today and make it work. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we return, we will talk some NBA as the Phoenix Suns just keep on rolling, baby. Last night, a win over the the, uh, Brooklyn Nets. Made it look kind of easy, too. We'll talk about that next here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Stay tuned in hour number two, big hour number two. A lot of local stuff to discuss. We'll talk Suns basketball. We'll talk Wildcat basketball. I've got some basketball tickets to give away to the women's game on Sunday as they take on Oregon State. The Beavers are going to be in town. And, uh, look, it's, it, you know, that's a pretty good basketball team that they've got there in Corvallis. And they're going to be headed to the McHale Center on Sunday for a noon tip-off against uh, Dia Barnes and the Wildcats women's basketball team. So we'll be giving away tickets to that coming up in hour number two. Stay tuned for your cue to call as we will be taking callers for those tickets, digital tickets. So we'll just send them right to your phone or your email, and uh, that way you can just walk right up and scan them right there at the gate. Get on in and enjoy yourself a nice afternoon of good basketball. And hopefully when you go and watch the team, they'll be coming off a win over the Oregon Ducks, whom they play on Friday night at the McHale Center. Big, big game as, of course, they're going to try to get that revenge from the overtime loss up in Eugene, giving up the 17-point lead in that game. And then, of course, everything that happened after the game uh, with the alleged middle finger to the opposing coach and Adia Barnes being reprimanded by the Pac-12 for criticizing the officiating. Speaking of officiating, I I, I don't want to get into the Suns right now because we've got a short segment here. I don't know how many of you were watching the ACC game last night between North Carolina and Louisville. Uh, that game was played at Louisville. Now, they're, they're playing with an interim coach because they had a uh, parting of ways with Chris Mack, of course, the former Xavier coach who was hired there for big money uh, to come in and usher the Louisville program into the next uh, the next decade, and that just didn't happen. It was just too big of a job for him, I think, and uh, expectations are really high in, in Louisville, and uh, sometimes you know things can get away from you like that. So they're playing with an interim coach, and last night they were taking on North Carolina in in. And I'll say this, I've watched some really poorly officiated games, specifically this year. I mean, I'm just, just talking about this season. The Arizona-Tennessee the Arizona Tennessee game is still number one to me. That was the most egregiously officiated game I've seen all season long, maybe in three years. I, I mean, I mean that. Um, and, and I'm not the only one. The national media was all over that one. There were people that didn't have stake in the game that were like, this is the worst called game I've ever seen. You know, Tennessee getting the home cooking. I mean, all that kind of stuff. What happened to Louisville in their building last night was atrocious. And I mean absolutely ridiculous. Like, so much so 
that Louisville might be making a call this morning to the ACC to try to find a way to get out of that conference because it was that bad. North Carolina, it, down the stretch, was the calls in that game were I, – I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. So um, uh, Armando Baycott, who's the, 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 the star player for, for North Carolina – Played with four fouls from about the final four minutes, four or five minutes of the game on. He was with four fouls. The game went into overtime, by the way, a game that North Carolina won 90-83. But he was playing with four fouls for quite some time. Gets frustrated, gets kind of knocked down for a rebound that he should have been called on a foul for because he was over the back, first of all. Didn't get called. Is on the ground, reaches up, grabs the leg of the opposing player who's trying to run down the court, trips him. The official is right there. Right there. And all he does is help pick up the player. <laughs> doesn't doesn't call him for a foul. Like, here, get up, get up, son. Get, get here, get, get moving. Let's go. There were three other calls in that game that should have gone against Baycott that didn't, that should have fouled him out, and he was, you know, he was their star. He's their best player. Leading scorer, leading rebounder, leading everything. It was uh, it was so bad. And Louisville fans were they were it was nuts. It like those referees barely made it out of there alive, I guarantee you, because Kentucky takes things very seriously with their basketball. All right, that is going to wrap things up for hour number one of today's edition of the Jeff Dean Show. Hour number two coming up. We're going to do a lot of local stuff, Wildcat basketball, football, Suns basketball, and a whole lot more. Stay tuned right here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. From the Casino Del Sol studio, the soul of Tucson, this is ESPN Tucson, KFFN Tucson, KWCX Tanka Verde, KMXZ HD4 Tucson.